So I've been doing, um, if you've been coming to church, um, some different sorts of saints, and, and I've been using their deaths, the day of their deaths. So I've got one for you today. So um, am I ignoring the readings? Well, actually, no. Um, the first one I talked to you about on Tuesday uh, was Eberhard Arnold and his communitarian vision, his difficulties with the Nazis, and uh, his establishing the Brudhof. So that, was, uh, that vision continued and continues to this day. I told you you could go to D'Antonia to experience it yourselves. Um, very much a vision, but also a vision of peace. So he was the founder of the Brudhof. He was an Anabaptist, so not a Catholic. On Wednesday, we did Miguel Pro. Do you remember? Viva Cristo Rey. So it's all about the kingship of Christ, uh, the lordship of Christ. Long live Christ the king. It's about religious liberty. So we've got the first one about communitarian, the second one about religious liberty. And then yesterday, I talked about John Lafarge and his passion for racial equality and uh, those sorts of things. So again, a different sorts of vision. Now, what have this got to do with all our readings? Because all of these people are concerned with building the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will come. It has come. It's among us. It's here in the church. It's here with these people. What are our responses to these sorts of apocalyptic readings we've been going through? How do we respond? Are we afraid? Do we run away? I remember my mum telling me that in, in the 1950s, uh, she was in... in uh, I can't remember which area of Australia, but she, she knew some Seventh-day Adventists who'd worked out here when the Lord was coming. And they publicised this. And they went to meet the Lord up the mountain after giving away all their stuff. And mum told me how embarrassing it was uh, the next day where they had to come back down the mountain and reclaim everything. But this has happened. You know, there are different groups who've had this and they get caught up in this. Um, just as an aside, you know that I'm the priest director of Radio Maria. We've decided we're going to do a series of talks on taking you through the book of Apocalypse or the book of Revelation, uh, starting in, um, in January. Because people need to understand this, and they need to put it in its context. So, you see, each of these people are responding to different, different situations. Believe me, if we lived in the 1930s in, in Germany, especially if we were Jewish, you know, our world would be terrible. If we lived in Mexico in the 1920s, late 1920s, we would wonder about the Lord. It's, you know, these things happen. These things have happened to these people. And John Lafarge must have despaired seeing what happened to the black communities in America and the Jewish communities and his own church. How his church failed, really, to pick that up. So I want to talk about somebody else now, today. A different person who built the kingdom in a different sorts of way. Yeah? Interestingly, both Lafarge and Miguel Pro are both Jesuits. Um, so I've done one Anabaptist and two Jesuits. Now I want to do somebody completely different. And the, the whole justification for this is this, this is someone else who builds the kingdom. But he died on this day, uh, on the 25th of November, and, uh, but a, a little while ago. So, yeah. Um, he died in 1748. The question is, how can we build? How can we build God's kingdom? How can we respond? There's plenty of encouragement in the scriptures to do this. And um, when you think about that vision that we heard about Jerusalem, the Jerusalem coming down, so we've got Jerusalem was first built, the temple, by Solomon. Yeah? And then it was destroyed, and then Ezra and Nehemiah. 
Now, it's very interesting to me that the building of the temple, which is a symbol of the kingdom of God, included music. So you get Solomon, um, he's, he has great music, and, uh, and it says in Psalm um, 22, verse 3, uh, Kadosh, God inhabits the praises of his people. And the glory came down with the hymns. Now, if you read, you know, in your Old Testament, if you read the books of Ezra and, and Nehemiah about the rebuilding of the, of the temple, there's lists of who comes back, and it includes musicians. It includes people singing. Music is at the heart of building the kingdom of God. So you can guess where I'm going with this. And music's at the heart of the scriptures. You know, David was there. He did the Psalms and, and played musical instruments. And it's wonderful. If you want to read about Solomon, by the way, it's, it's in uh, 2 Chronicles 7. And um, you get, it's just not just, of course, in the Hebrew scriptures. It's in our New Testament as well. Mary's song, the Magnificat. Zachariah's song. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus and the disciples sing a hymn. Yeah? So it's there. Do you know that lovely story in Acts where Paul and Silas are in prison and they sing a hymn and the chains fall off and they get out, you know? Singing hymns, singing to God, glory to God, praise to God, brings the glory down, the Shekinah glory. And uh, uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians 5. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. It's not just biblical, it's historical. You know, I, I'm sure you've been told about the Aryan crisis, where the whole group, most, most of the, the Catholics in a way, most Christians actually, not Catholics, Christians then, called themselves Christians, um, who left the church, supported by the emperor, would become Aryans, Yeah. And Hillary was one of those sent away in exile. He was faithful to the teaching, the fourth century to the church. Now, he encountered the Eastern Rite churches, and he found that they were singing hymns. They, they were singing hymns as part of their liturgy. And he thought, this is a great idea. So he visited his friend after coming back from um, exile, John Chrysostom, in, in Byzantine, in, in Constantinople. Yeah, And... Um, the Arians were banned then by the church, thanks to the Nicene Creed. They were banned, but they used to flood the city. Come, it'd be like them standing outside there and singing at us. They'd be singing at us. They came in and sang. And so what did um, Archbishop, or, or how did he respond? He had processions with candles. Didn't quite do it. But Hillary, being inspired by his contact with the Eastern Rite, said, come on, John, let's sing some hymns. And he wrote some. And so they countered the heresies in the song with, uh, with uh, their own hymns, which were, of course, traditional and Trinitarian and beautiful. And that history of the church is there. It's all the time there. You know Ambrose. Augustine, in his Confessions, mentions this. The Eastern churches teaching us hymns and how important singing hymns are important. Singing hymns are important. And we build the kingdom. Uh, we should love our musicians like Imelda. We should love them. They are bringing something important to us and contributing something wonderful to our community, to the building of the kingdom. I could talk about Ambrose, of course, and others, but Thomas Aquinas, um, Bernard of Clu uh, Cluny, Bernard of Clivo, hymn writers all. We come to the Reformation. And it had become chants and polyphony and that sort of thing. And Luther, a, a, a mighty fortress is our God. Do you know that hymn? It's marvellous. I had it at my wedding. 
It's a beautiful hymn. It's incredible. And, and yeah, of course, Luther was troubled, but he also brought good things to the church. And, um, you know, and the Reformation was a great um, time of hymn writing. Now to the person I want to talk to you about. Someone asked me just now, excuse me, Father, did I hear right? Do you have a wife? <laughs> I confess, I have a wife and children and grandchildren because I'm a convert uh, from the Protestant church. But when you get in, you know, you notice there's insecurities in the Catholic church. There's a lot of insecurities. You should be proud. You should be strong. You don't need to be insecure. Have confidence in your faith. I gave up my wife and I at the peak of my career as an Anglican on the list to be a bishop. We left to become Catholics. Now, that's another story. That's another story. But... Okay, which of these hymns do you know? When I survey the wondrous cross? Who knows it? Yes. Um, hark, the herald angels sing. Okay. Jesus shall reign. Oh God, our help in ages past. Yes, yes, come on. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Thank you. And we're marching to Zion. You know, I mean, honestly... Where, are these Catholic hymns? Who said no? <laughs> well, they are, but they're not written by a Catholic. I could go through your hymn book, and if I ripped out every Protestant hymn, so-called Protestant hymn, you'd be left with a pretty thin book. <laughs> it's wonderful, because it's all glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing I notice with Catholics, they're obsessed with Protestants. Them. <laughs> them it's an obsession but look i've got a text for us right this is the most important text it seems to me mark this is from luke 9 you can see it in in mark 9 as well master said john we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop them because they don't belong with us they don't accompany us that seems to me a great ecumenical verse don't you think those, said the Lord, who are for me, are not against me. Right? So let's keep these lovely hymns. Yes? It's renewing the church everywhere. Now to the chat. Every one of those hymns I told you about was written by Isaac Watts. He wasn't, he was a Protestant, yeah. But this is the other thing about the, the Catholics. You don't get it. I come, I've spent too much of my life maybe in England. And there's, there's all sorts of problems here. Isaac Watts was born when his father had been imprisoned by the state church. Dear friends, why do you think the Pilgrim Fathers left England? You didn't have, you know, Catholics weren't the only ones persecuted. They were persecuting all sorts of people, certainly dissenters and the Congregationalists. It's, it's part of the, when the church gets into power linked with the state, yeah, it can become toxic and abusive. And it did. Uh, one of the greatest books after the Bible, the most published in English, was written by John Bunyan. Have you heard of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? Do you know he wrote it in prison? He was one of these dissenters. Who likes the art of William Blake? Well, I do. Come on, it's wonderful. He's another one. And these people are all persecuted by the church. So look, Catholics don't have a monopoly. 
Look, Catholics can persecute Catholics, can't they? Think of Padre Pio, for instance, and I could go on, yeah? We're just, we do it when we've got power. But let's look for Christ in these things. So I'm telling you that hymns are really powerful to build up. And, and so this lovely man, Isaac Watts, didn't like the hymns that were being um, sung. You know, so he wrote the first English hymnal. Imelda, do you know his hymns? You do all the ones I mentioned. I bet you do, Imelda. So he wrote a hymn book, first English hymn book, 210 hymns. By the time he died, on the 25th of November, there you go, 1748, he'd written 600 hymns. Now, thank God for Isaac Watts. When um, I, I thought about this, how, you know, God is in all sorts of surprising places and surprising people, and I want to tell you this. You know who the two spies getting into the promised land, another symbol of the heavenly Jerusalem, the kingdom of God to come. You know, the promised land? I want to tell you now, if you know your scriptures, you'll know that one of them, one of these people, Joshua, was Jewish. But the other one wasn't. Caleb, did you know that? He's adopted into the, into the tribe of Judah, but actually he's Kenite. He's a Kenite from the tribe. He's outside. And that seemed to me to say something powerful about our going into the kingdom of God. We don't go alone. We go with brothers and sisters who love and care for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Yeah, praise God for that. So I'm glad to be a convert. I'm glad to be a convert. And I'm interested in this. When Augustine wrote on confessions that um, how marvellous the Eastern churches were and how they learnt all this hymn singing from them, on Sunday, I went to an ordination. And it was an ordination here in Melbourne, and it was an ordination of a Melkite. That's one of the Eastern Rites. Do you know that um, the Catholic Latin Rite Church is one of something like 23 churches? All of us together, one Holy Father with the same faith, and that um, all the others, the Eastern Rite Churches, have married priests. Did you know that? Isn't it wonderful? So thinking about the hymns that Augustine said we can learn from the Eastern Rites, perhaps we could learn something else from the Eastern Rites. I'm dropping hints here. <laughs> we might be able to... I'm not saying, look, someone once said to me, did I believe that all priests should be married? No, I don't believe that. But sometimes it's helpful. And I could give you my testimony. When we were asked to come here for Radio Maria... We left behind our children and our grandchildren and everything. No one to welcome us, no home to go to, but I bought, brought with me my prayer partner, my co-worker, my best friend, my wife. So I had a community coming with me already. Sometimes, you see, being a married priest is right, and I thank God for my marriage and, uh, and we've shared together in mission and ministry. So that lady who came to me just before church, yes, you heard right, I'm a married priest. I'm not a priest who's married, I'm a married priest. Amen. And let's thank God for Isaac Watts and all the great music, all the great music, even now, Matt, Matt Redman and people like this. It's wonderful. Let's learn to draw from the beauty that God has given us wherever it is. So another sign of the kingdom, wonderful music. Amen. <laughs>